yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Borgosh Energy, proud sponsor of the GAA All-Ireland Under-20 and Senior Hurling Championships. Hashtag hurling to the core. Hello and welcome to the Throw and Independent.ie's GAA podcast in association with Borgosh Energy. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined as always by Michael Verney. Michael, hello. Hello, you will. I'm exhausted this morning. I won't lie. How, like, you'd, you'd wake up with a spring in your step but also you'd just be like emotionally exhausted from everything over the weekend some weekend of action in fairness it's funny on Saturday night after after the hurling matches and after especially after the Dublin game which was extremely one-sided I was on the phone to a mate of mine and I was saying God like I'm actually not even oh, that enthused tomorrow I might actually you know, do something else I might schedule a, I might go for a walk or something I'm so glad that I stuck around at the start of the Cork Tip game which is going to hook me in for the rest of the day because those were those really came out of nowhere and it's it, you couldn't have had such a more stark kind of juxtaposition between like the provincials are dead on Saturday night like all oh, terrible and then like Sunday night you get two of the most amazing games in terms of shocks like it's like having the Clare 92 lead from 94 on one day almost maybe not quite as shocking but it wasn't far off yeah I, in a WhatsApp group on Saturday night the, the provincials were dead according to a lot of people and on, on Sunday afternoon the provincials were alive and well so yeah. it's great it kind of uh, I think it, it restored a lot of people's kind of faith in the, the GA and the faith in you know, anything can happen on a given day it was unbelievable and for like Mickey, Mickey Graham is like a miracle worker mm. fairness like it's unbelievable between Mullinyakta and, and Cavan what he's done, particularly with a relegation from Division 3 coming in. And it's been so hard to win Ulster through the, through the preliminary rounds down through the years. Only a handful have done it. And Cavan do it against the head. Like, I picked a fantasy Gaelic team at the start of the year and I'd, I had a good few Manhattan lads in it because I thought, they'd get, I thought they'd get a run to the provincial final at least. And they're gone after the first day. And then Cavan win again and come behind against Down and then they beat Donegal. Uh, just on Donegal, as well interesting one like I wonder I wonder does Declan Bonner's kind of term or you know rain come into question now are they underachieving for you know we would have talked like they absolutely blew our mat to bits in the semi-final and then you know they probably underachieve again just when the pressure is coming on so that'll be an interesting one to be playing out over the next couple of weeks but yeah just uh, the, the weekend belongs to belongs to Tipperary and Cavan phenomenal stuff I know and we're going to have Brendan Cummins on just a little bit later to talk with the hurling quarterfinals as well as Tipperary's great win because I know obviously he would have soldiered uh, in the Tipperary football camp for, for many years during his inter-county career but we'll start off with football and we're allowed to be joined by Kieran Whelan Kieran, how are things? Uh, good, good, well, not a better, not a better 
great weekend. Oh, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Uh, we'll let you decide which which game to start with, I guess. There was two kind of droughts and the Tipperary's a little longer at 85 years versus Cavan's 23. But in terms of the games, the Cavan upset was probably a bit bigger given how big favourites Donegal were. Like for you, which is the one that's kind of caught your eye a bit more? I think they both did. Uh, like it was, it was really our Super Sunday, really to a certain degree. Going into the game, yeah, you, 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 particularly the Tipperary game, you probably would have given Tip a chance. Um, you know, Cork had kind of yes, they beaten Kerry. It was a kind of a snatch and grab, really. You know, Kerry probably had more chances to beat them, and you really didn't know where Cork were at. Uh, and coming into a game yesterday on a good surface, good weather, uh, it was always going to be a bigger test for them, particularly when they were up against some quality uh, Tipperary players. But I think the thing you can say in both games is that both teams deserve to win. You know, they, you know, they, they, on the balance of play, Cavan uh, outplayed Donegal and similar Tipperary and Cork. Cavan um, for me is probably, you know, probably stands out as a bigger upset. I, I don't think there is really anybody that gave Cavan a chance. Let's be very honest about that. Um, Donegal were motoring so well, uh, were so well organised. In some ways, maybe Donegal were predictable, where Cavan were unpredictable, and that maybe what kind of made the difference at the end of the day. Uh, but you know, I saw Cavan. I saw Cavan against Ross Common in the league game where Roscommon made eight, nine changes. Um, and then I also against Antrim, you know, they struggled against Antrim. And, and, and then they had these heroic comebacks against Monaghan and, 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 and Down. Just, it's an incredible story when you look at their journey, uh, coming from the preliminary round, what they've had to do, the comebacks. And, and that's obviously just instilled that bit of belief. And, you know, you, Mickey Graham obviously has something, has a bond there with his players that... Uh, he's created this fighting spirit and you could see it even at the third quarter yesterday you could see him smiling hugging his players the game was in the melting pot um, and they just performed from and they were heroic they were warriors all, every one of them and the spread of scores they had you know everybody popped up you know to do their bit so um, it just it, listen an incredible incredible weekend um, and I think it really makes the championship worth having uh, you know we were kind of going into this championship when we were worried about you know, no crowds being at the grounds. And, you know, I've been at a couple of grounds and they are eerie and it is different and you're saying, yeah, it's not the same. But yes, they made it all worthwhile, I think. And uh, what, it, what it means to the people of Tipperary and Cavan. And, uh, and yeah, they can't celebrate like they'd want to, but they'd still remember yesterday uh, as a special, special days. And the whole emotion of it, I suppose, combined with the weekend that was, uh, with Bloody Sunday, um, the, the, the ironic that it's the same four provincial winners as 100 years, you just couldn't write that sort of stuff. So it, it was just an incredible day for, for to be a GA follower uh, and to see see the passion and for, for Tipperary and Cavan, brilliant stuff altogether. Yes, simply sensational day, Michael. And if you look at the Cavan game first, I guess in a little more detail I think they trailed in against Monaghan at halftime against Antrim at halftime against Down at halftime and against Tony Gall at halftime and yet here they are provincial champions for the first time since 1997 you know what What did you make of the way the game developed yesterday like Tony Gall had a I think a two point lead at the break but only kicked three points in the second half you know there was the two black cards the first of which Tony Gall really you know I think kicked on and, and outscored them by six points but Cavan actually outscored them by one in, in after the second black card um, so you know, it, it was an interesting game. Like, w- what was the winning and losing of it for you? I, I thought it was very strange in the sense that, uh, you know, when the finishing line was in sight, uh, I'm not saying like Donegal were kind of straight jacketed like that, but it was like Cavan, Cavan were you know, vying for that finishing line. They were pushing for it, whereas Donegal were trying to almost hold on. It was kind of like uh, it was kind of like Kerry against Cork. It's like the favourites um, under the, the weight of the 
pressure and everything seemed to be getting to Donegal, whereas Cavan really, really took it on and they just embraced it, really. And, uh, you know, a cu- couple of guys really, really stand out. It was a great save from, from Ray Galligan there at one stage. And then his, his brother, Thomas, at the other end, well, not even at the other end, he was everywhere. He was absolutely everywhere. And even the interview after with the, the bloody eye and everything, it was just... Cavan just threw themselves into absolutely everything. They were just ravenous in the tackle. Same as, same as Tip. They're just like, I, I know it's very, very simplistic uh, to say it, but the two, the two teams that won yesterday, the two, the two provincial football heights, they just seemed to want it a bit more. The energy they had all over the field, tackling in absolute droves. And um, it's just funny to, when you look at it that two division, uh, division three sides, basically, winning provincial titles. Like, nobody could have predicted that. In division one or two is where, is where it's all at to be competitive, usually at the latter stages of the championship. Yet we have two division three sides in the All-Ireland semi-finals. And as Kieran said there, like while maybe p- people would think it's more predictable, a lot more predictable now that they would be predicting a Dublin Mayo final, and maybe they would have predicted that anyway, what the joy and happiness that Cavan and Tip have brought is just like people will be talking about this for days, months, and years to come. And even the interviews after with, with Ray Galligan and uh, with Mickey Graham just broke down in several interviews after. That's that's what it means. And imagine what imagine going around like living rooms all around the country. Imagine you know this the GA got the GA goggle box. Imagine the, the videos coming coming back in. I'd say they're absolutely phenomenal. But Kevin just yeah, the just energy they had and the coolness to take some scores. Oshin Pearson got a score off his left foot down by the sideline. Absolutely outrageous score. Didn't even take a solo or a or a hop or anything like that. Just some brilliant, brilliant scores. Um on a magical, magical day. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the individual players there. I don't think Cavan have won an All-Star since the 90s. I think they've only ever won one with Dermot McCabe. So even if some of the individual players got some recognition at the end of the year, it would be, would be really nice to see. And Kieran, I guess, while Cavan were, were the big story and, and the heroics and the joy, on the flip side, Donegal, you know, were coming into the game, everyone talking about them as Dublin's biggest challenger. For the third year in a row under Declan Bonner, they failed to make a, a semi-final, despite you know at times being really, really good to watch. You know, where do you, where do you, where do they, where does this result leave them? Like, did they maybe get a bit too far ahead of themselves, looking towards Dublin? Like, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, possibly, but but I'd say I'd say at least I'm fairly shell shocked, if I'm being honest. But I thought it was very easy to see after the in the first seven eight minutes, you were looking at the game and you were saying. Tony Gall are not at this. They're not at the right level. They're not at the right tempo. They're not engaging Cavan in the tackle. Cavan got off to a much stronger start, kicked those three, four points, you know, asked questions of Donegal straight away. And you were you were looking at Donegal and you were thinking, they're they're flat, there's something wrong. Uh, and uh, they did lift it in the second quarter, but like a lot of that had to do obviously the Killian Brady black card was a little bit harsh, but there was a period in that third quarter where they wrecked off, you know, our second quarter where they wrecked off six, seven points. And you were kind of thinking, yeah, they're beginning to up it. They're beginning to get to the level that we know we are. They're beginning to bring their key players into the game and they're picking off scores. But uh, Kevin, I suppose, going in a half time behind was probably the perfect situation as well because, you know, maybe Donegal still felt, yeah, we're, we're grinding these lads down. We're going to kick on in the second quarter. Um, rather than possibly being a couple of points down and Declan Bonner being able to give them uh, a rocket and get them going in the second half. And Kevin came out in the second half and and it's fascinating because when you look at the statistics of the game, when you look at the core statistics in terms of kickouts won and stuff like that, Donegal probably done fairly well in that middle third, but it was 
Cavan's rawness in the tackle and turnovers, like they turned over Donegal, I think, 26 times. They got seven points off it. And Donegal made a lot of mistakes in the last third. And Cavan set themselves up, I thought, very well to force Donegal's into those mistakes. And it was their work rate, their energy, as Michael alludes to. But they also held threat, a threat up top. And they were willing to put that early, long, direct ball uh, in. And, you know, you had the likes of Conor Madden, like what, what, strange game he had and that he was brought on as a you know as a blood sub twice then he had his own black card he still finished at one two you know what I mean and when he, when he came on initially you were kind of going you were saying keep him on keep him on this guy is this guy is going to cause Donegal problems you know uh, so they just they it was it was a case of kind of grinding it out and 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 you know the Galligan point really typified I thought the, the, I suppose what Cavan were about a long ball went in he probably didn't deserve to win it he gets it he flicks it up the great pick up and turns unorthodoxly and, and bangs it straight over the bar and, and that was a statement of saying guys we have these and as the, as the second half developed I think Donegal actually were shell-shocked didn't know what hit them and they started reverting back they had 15 men behind the ball they had no options up front themselves they lost all the cohesion they normally have and their attack and their patience and I think they kind of panicked a bit. They hadn't been put in that situation where they had to grind out a win. And uh, as I said, Cavan, Cavan went on then and, 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 and stole it and fully des- deservedly so because they wanted it more. They wanted it more. That was the bottom line. Um, and, uh, you know, they had, you know, I think Mickey Graham's ability to, to as I said, to mix it up with the un- unpredictability of it and be able to move players in and out of that full forward line. They definitely optimised their tactics and trying to upset upset Donegal. And I think they had nine scores. Guys popped up from everywhere uh, to, to be able to take scores. So, uh, listen, fully fully deserved victory for them. And, uh, you know, as you said, the motion afterwards was was, was was just brilliant to see. But but Donegal will be left, you know, that's two years in a row, a flat performance last year in Mayo. You know, the last few years, Donegal have looked like they've been making progress, but for some reason they seem to hit a flat performance but they didn't they didn't deserve to win yesterday they were outplayed yeah and Mickey Graham you know after leading Mullin Yachta to a Leinster club in 2018 he's probably had two of the most unlikely provincial triumphs over the last you know 10-15 years and then earlier in the day Michael obviously Tipperary you know seeing off Cork as Kieran said earlier so when you're looking at that match on paper it probably was much more closer than we probably gave a credit for going into it if you even look at the team sheets the quality of players like Connor Sweeney and Michael Quinlivan two forwards that if you're looking at maybe Wicca County's tradition he probably wouldn't have that scoring power that Tip have at their fingertips um, you know, how did what did you make of that game in terms of you know Cork never really got into it besides a period in the second half when it looked like they were making a comeback yeah like people probably like might forget like Tip Cork in the championship only four years ago, and they were beating a score then uh, down in Parky Reen in the seventeen match where where they where they played them like so. Cork rather if it had been Kerry like you would imagine like Tip having to have a match up well against Kerry at all, and Kerry would have been able to keep them at arms then. But there was no there was no fear of Cork going into the game. I suppose as you mentioned when you have Sweeney and Quinlevin like. Quinlevin takes on a point there at the outside of his right foot uh, underneath the stand. That was the type of confidence that they were they were kind of showing yesterday. Um, he just every time every time he took on a shot, you kind of thought it was going to go over the bar. And even when uh, when Mial Martin misplaced that kick out, you're kind of thinking the ball was going to end up over his head in the net as well. That's the kind of that was kind of the day it was for them. And even the stars just kind of aligning the way the way it worked out uh, with obviously you know the bloody Sunday weekend. Colin O'Reardon being available, having not been available for for their their game against Clare or their game against Limerick as well. And that was huge. And he was just, 
he was every inch a professional athlete out there yesterday, just able to break tackles, particularly in that last quarter. He did a huge last quarter. It was a big, big catch. Uh, he, won, he won a free at one stage as well, won a 45 as well. Um, and they just, yeah, like Tip wouldn't have feared Cork going into that. As I said, they would have had good success against the underage. It's funny, like when you look at it, Colin O'Reardon has nearly been associated with, with all the great things that have happened with Tip football in the last decade. David Power, the same. Um, it was just, it was, it was phenomenal, really. And it, it wasn't like, um, you know, a come from behind win or anything like that. They were kind of always in control. And the only way Cork were going to get in now but if is was if they were going to produce something like that marquee goal or something at the end but again yeah tip just had that bit of a swagger about them it's almost like that they almost believed that the stars were aligning for them the different jerseys a different kind of mentality and uh yeah it was it was it was class yeah it was brilliant it's just to even see like, it's hard to beat that emotion after Colin O'Reardon in tears mm. doing interviews after like that's that's what it's all about and you people calling for the GA championships not to go ahead like Imagine like the the joy that that will bring to people between now and Christmas and between now and God knows how long. Um, and it's great that we have it to discuss here on a Monday morning. And it's great that the players are kind of putting their lives on hold to some to some respect to make sure that they can bring that joy to people. Joy and despair, obviously, because it's good and the bad, agony and ecstasy on both sides. But uh, yeah, tip tipper brilliant from start to finish and never really looked like losing that game. Yeah, which is surprising, Kieran, because Cork were the favourites having seen off Kerry, you know, even though it took a late goal to do it. Like, what did you make of their challenge yesterday? I think a lot of people I, I did expect them to progress to the semi final and face Mayo. But as, as Michael said, they, they really didn't deserve to win. And there was only a, a couple of moments where they were on top. No, they were hugely disappointing. Well, really, really well, I have to say, it was a really poor Cork performance. But, you know, again, if you're to look at going into the game, the, 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 the top class forwards. On the on the on the Tipperary team, you know, you had Sweeney and Quinlan, who are probably a little bit more consistent. And and Cork are going into it, and you're saying, well, who, who who's going to stand up for us? Who are going to be? You're, you're relying on Luke Connolly, and he was a bit of a loss because Luke was a confidence player who was on a bit of a blow, and you're hoping that Hurley's going to hit a blow inside. You know what I mean? But they they don't really have those the same level of consistency in terms of performance probably that Tip have. And the uh, the other question is, you know, you go in against top teams, you should have one or two really good man markers that should be able to uh, try and nullify uh, the influence of, of, of opposition key players. And they didn't seem to have that. Uh, so, like, for me, you know, Tipperary, because they had the quality up front, they had Sweeney, uh, they had Quimbledon, they were able to move, they moved the ball a lot better. There was the, the movement in the Tipperary forward line was, was, was much better and they were able to get that pop pass into the, into the forwards and get the support runners coming through. And I think the way they set up in midfield, obviously, because that would have been one of Cork's strengths. Uh, you know, they went long against Kerry and they turned it into a bit of a war of attrition in the middle of the park. But I thought, like, yesterday you had, like, Liam, like Liam Casey was, was brilliant and you had Stephen O'Brien, you had Conor Reardon, they put... They played kind of three across the middle and they were willing to try and go and win that battle. And they made a struggle in the first 10, 15 minutes was the game grew on. Tipperary took over in that space. Uh, and particularly Reardon in the second half, the balls that he plucked out of the sky. So Tipperary being able to match Cork and beat them in midfield to give them the platform to get the balls into the quality forwards, that essentially was the, was, was the win in the game. From a Cork perspective, like the movement of their inside forwards at times was just awful. You were you were watching it and you were kind of, they were going back, 
you know, they, they, they were very slow on their build-up play, which allowed Tipperary regroup and put a, block, put a wall across the 50. But the inside movement, there was no options for them at times. Uh, and it allowed Tipperary then to eventually turn them over. And Fahey was brilliant at centre-back, driving them forward then on the break. So, uh, listen, it, was, I, it, it wasn't a huge surprise for me, but, in the, but still it's massive, you know what I mean? The context of Tipperary winning a, a Munster title. And I think if, if football had it went ahead, normally... This year, you know, they probably wouldn't have had O'Reilly, they wouldn't have had Quimbledon, they wouldn't have had some of the players, and and that's that's the, that's the thing that makes it kind of special. That uh, you know, as Michael said, the stars aligned to them. That the championship went ahead at this time. They had their, they had probably their best team on the field to play, but they were also backed by guys, winners, guys that won a minor title. A lot of those guys, you know, played in two thousand eleven, won Munster titles. They know they they they, they would never fear Cork. Uh, so it's it's massive for Tipperary football, and 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 they'll. They'll go in to the All Ireland semi final with a free shot, you know. Mayo, yeah, Mayo, as we know, you would expect are at, at, at a higher level, but they're still going through transition, and there's going to be guys coming up to play in Crow Park for the first time. Like that, that, that game is set up for for for, for a brilliant contest, and and Tipperary won't fear them. Yeah, it should be an interesting game. And Michael, I suppose we had the the positives of the provincial championships at the weekend, and then on Saturday night we had a bit of the opposite Dublin Mead. I get the at the water break, it was over. It was two twelve to two points at the break. I don't think Dublin had probably looked as dominant against Mead in, in probably ever. Like what? It's hard to know to say. I think I know Kieran was on RTE with Pat's plan. I don't think they had didn't really know knew how to analyze it either. Yeah, no, it was just Dublin are just getting better and better as, as the championship goes on. Uh, I think most people coming in, you probably would have thought, you know, Mead had 12 goals in their past two games and, and put, it, put it up to Dublin in that league game, a high scoring kind of league game. And uh, no, Dublin just ripped them apart. Uh, what, like, you knew once, once Dean Rock's goal went in, you knew the game was essentially over and they just kept going and going and going at them. A uh, couple of interesting tactics, I think, even from that game. Uh, Con was playing an awful lot deeper at different stages, and he was he was the target man for a lot of a lot of kickouts as well down that middle where there were kind of there's a lot of guys moving towards the flank, and he kind of make a dart to the middle, and you know we definitely take it for granted, but Cluxton's ability just to pick out a lad from eighty or ninety yards and, and put it into the breadbasket is absolutely phenomenal, and that, they were just brilliant at that the other night. Um, you know a lot of the, a lot of the new guys even coming in were very very good. It just looks like the the machine is just moving on, you know, as, exactly as, as it should. Nothing, a new manager, new players, you know, uh, experienced players leaving the dressing rooms, like Brogan, Conley, Owen O'Gara, Darren Daly, and even though I know he's still involved in the backroom team, I thought these things might have had an effect. doesn't look like they've had any effect. Um, just outstanding from start to finish. Like, from a Mead point of view, not not really, not really sure. Like, what's it? Like, I know Andy McEntee wasn't... Uh, he didn't really want to do interviews or anything after, and I, I, I wouldn't blame him. I'd say like they came with a good bit of, bit of optimism. They would have been thinking, if we can get to the hour mark and be competitive, even if Dublin pull away, it'll be progress. And now they're back exactly where, where they were. It's even worse probably than last year's Leinster final. Um, yeah, so from, from a Dublin point of view, it just, you know, the, the train just keeps rolling on the, on the tracks from a me point of view. Just really, really disappointing. Just weren't able to really lay a glove on Dublin, you know, and uh, didn't ask any questions of them. I think that's the, the most disappointing thing. They didn't even get an opportunity almost to ask questions of them. Dublin, you know, once they got on top earlier on, the, ga- the game was over, and it was over with a first water break. It was over, completely over as a contest. Same old Dublin, while other things have changed uh, in other provinces, and, you know, the power has changed in other counties, it's the same old Dublin and Leinster. 
Yeah, Kieran, I suppose that's what made it so stark is that like Mead came in, you know, especially after hitting all those goals, there was an expectation that they maybe that might be an avenue to make it a somewhat competitive game. You know, they played in the league. I know it was only the league, but it was a couple of weeks ago. It was a pretty competitive match as well. And then for the game to be over 15, 20 minutes in at most, it kind of let people. So it was a great double performance, but pretty unfulfilled. Yeah, like they ran into the double machine that was performing well and was probably in a couple of gears higher than it was in previous previous weeks. Um, and Dublin, Dublin were excellent. Desi Farrow will be will be very very happy with the level of intensity they brought to the game and and particularly their transition from the, from attack to defence and then to attack when required. How they can how they can move their team and get their setup within within a few seconds is is, is incredible and. You know, Mead probably needed, I said it on Saturday night, they needed a fast start. They needed something to give them a bit of oxygen, a bit of confidence. And they did create the goal opportunity at the start. Like, it was still very well closed down by Cluxton from a defensive perspective. But you're thinking, yeah, this has to hit the onion sack. And, 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 and all of a sudden, they'll, they'll, they'll grow a couple of inches and they'll start believing. Uh, and then Dublin go down a couple of minutes later and stick one in straight down the middle, down the heart of the fence. And majorly, that's game over. Like, the, the biggest thing that's stuck out for me, I know we were, we were expecting a lot more from me, no doubt about it. And they would have taken a lot from the league game. And you feel, yeah, they're on an upward course and everybody probably hoped that they would put it up to Dublin but the biggest thing that it was evident for me on Saturday night was that Mead are probably coming into this game uh, on the back of a couple of championship games where when you get the ball you have you probably have a couple of seconds to think what you're going to do with it where you're going to pick a pass you're going to take the man on you're going to take a shot on you're going, you're going into an environment where you actually have a second probably to think what you're going to do with the ball because the Dublin are just so intense and the way they they're they're all over you and they and, and and all of a sudden there's contact there's press and you're in you're in put into a panic situation and that's what happened I think me they dropped a lot short they panicked in possession because that level of intensity was just at a different level that probably they've experienced in 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 all their games this year even including the league game in Parnell because that was Dublin's first game back so they just couldn't for me they just couldn't cope with the level of intensities that Dublin brought to the game. And, you know, Desi Farrell will be, will be, that would, that would be the biggest pleasing thing from, from his perspective, uh, that they, yeah, they were sloppy at times against Leach, but he, he'd be, he'd be really, really happy with how efficient they were in attack, particularly in that first, uh, 20, 25 minutes, but more importantly, how they regrouped and got back and how the numbers got back to support the defense. Uh, when, 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 when me did try to get early ball in. So, yeah, it, like listen, it was a mismatch um, and, and and disappointing. Expected a lot more from me, and and it's 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 it's. I suppose you look at Dublin. If Dublin were in any other province, they'd probably be doing the same. But but it is psychologically damaging to 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 Leinster teams, you know, because every year you're you're setting out on your path, and you're thinking you have this machine to get over at, at some point, um, and 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 it makes it difficult because maybe they don't have that opportunity like a Tipperary and a Cavan have to come from come from somewhere and win a provincial title and all of a sudden it, it, it does so much for the football in the county. So it's uh that's 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 I suppose the challenge that Dublin are just so far ahead of the rest of them at the moment and um it, it like it doesn't make for the same doesn't make for the same level of entertainment as 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 we got yesterday I suppose. Yeah and no, I think if I'm not mistaken Ross Munley is the only uh player outside of Dublin who's still playing and who has a Leinster medal which shows I suppose just how dominant they have been in the province. But I suppose for now we'll We'll dwell on Tipperary and Gavin and their success as we look ahead to the next couple of weeks. But at the moment, Kieran, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem, guys.
It's time for hurling now, but first, don't forget to share your Gaga Box moments on Twitter using the hashtag hurling to the core to be with a chance of winning unmissable rewards with thanks to Board Gosh Energy. And we're now joined on the line by Brendan Goins. But before we get into the quarterfinal action over the weekend, Brendan, first, Tipperary's historic day in football yesterday, winning their first Munster title since, I think, 1935. And I know you would have been in that football uh, camp for, for many years uh, as, during your time as a player. Like, What did you make of, of what was an extremely emotional and historic day for the county? Yeah, look, it was massive. You know, I think we should do the whole show and podcast on temporary football and, uh, and the way that the long wait. But no, it has been. Uh, yeah, it was involved in 2002 when we, when we drew with Cork um, in Turles and then obviously got hammered in the replay. But yesterday was very, very special. You had you know, the, the, the Crow Park thing and the 100 years and all that and the different jerseys. And, and then you had a group of players who were ready to win. And I think David Powers touched on it. He's been involved with them in underage. They've had a bit of heartache like Fox had lost that under-21 fine the last couple minutes by, from, by Cork. So, and then you call no Reardon. So you, you went everything rolled into one. And, and like I say, when you forwards like Sweeney um, and Quinn Libin and these lads with the work rate that's around in the middle of the field, you always have a chance. And uh, I certainly thought when Cork played Kerry that Tipperary footballers would have a huge chance because the reality is they're not overly afraid of playing Cork because they would have beaten them at stages in the past. And it was just amazing, amazing scenes after the game. It was really, really emotional. As somebody who was heavily involved in football for years, playing and all that, it was, it was really special. Yeah, Brendan, obviously, you know, you're so steeped in hurling as well. In the county, you'll know the place football holds. It probably is behind hurling, you know, a good bit, to be fair. But like, what does a victory like this do for football in the county? Like, how, how much more visible will it be? Do you think it'll encourage people to pick up a football now as well as a hurl? I think it will. I think in fairness to, to the footballers, the one thing, even when I was playing with them back in the day, they never felt sorry for themselves. And I think that's really key. They never thought that they were all, we're the poor relation, we're wasting our time here. You had unbelievable people, like they mentioned, um, you know, Mick Frawley and lads like that, like that, have put in a huge amount of work uh, behind the scenes. I'd rest them now. And, you know, it's, it's for people like them, really, in the, in the long run, that kept the torch, kept the torch alight. And like I said, that now it does a huge amount because it really, really shows that, look, at the end of the day, there is a possibility and a potential to have success playing the football as well at senior or inter-county level. So, of course, it's going to give a huge boost to it. But I would say that in the football parts of the parish down here around South Tip and all, there are kids anyway waking up the morning going, I'd love to play football for Tipperary and not being too shy about saying it. Yeah, I suppose it was a great weekend for the footballers, less so for the hurlers, Brendan. Uh, you know, Galway Tip, it was a classic encounter once again. Tipperary coming on the wrong side of a goal, progressing to the All-Ireland semi-final. Like, like, how did you assess the game? There was a lot of ebbs and flows. It looked like Tip were in the ascendancy until that late goal from Aiden Hart. It was a cracking game, but, but what are your thoughts? Look, Tipperary was the, the best performance in Tipperary all year, and that's probably the, 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 the saddest thing about it afterwards, that we're just about just starting to find our mojo, I suppose. Now, Tipperary, up until about the 15th minute or so, they were going quite well. There was a very strong breeze down in the Gaelic grounds now as well. And I felt they kind of weathered that, that initial push in the second half from Galway. But I don't think there's any doubt that the Cahill Barrett sending off had a huge factor in the game. The more I look at it, the more I think that he made an honest effort to play the ball off of God Cannon and then clipped him on the back of the shoulder with a hurley. But either way, I suppose that's the way, that's the, way the breaks are. And uh, certainly Galway showed huge ambition, I thought. Uh, Dahi Burke was uh, struggling in the initial stage with Jamie Callan, uh, but the experienced defender that he is, he found his feet, and I think that was a bit of a launch pad for the rest of the Galway team to get a bit of heart. Uh, I think Shane O'Neill showed great management, really, I suppose, in, in the way he took David Burke off. 
he had uh, his distribution wasn't great in that first period of uh, of the match, and he suppose he reckoned we need something different in there, and it's not easy to take off your sweeper. But overall, you know, Galway's had a goal threat, and uh, I think that was the real key difference this time round in Crow Park. We saw him against Kilkenny, and it's something I complained about a lot after the match was that huge possession, but never really threatened to get a goal. Every time the ball went inside the twenty-one on on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Galway looked like they were going to get goals, so it really puts them in good stead now going into the Ireland semi-final next weekend. Yeah, Michael, how do you assess things? Like There was, there was moments in the game where it looked like Tipper on top, then Galway were on top. There was a few little runs here and there, and it came down to the very end. It could have gone either way. Yeah, no, it, it came down to the very end. I suppose Galway were very cool in the sense that they knew they had a free man, and they kept trying to force opportunities where they were... You know, taking on the tip defence, and there was always going to be someone left over. And like, I suppose Aiden Hart probably didn't think he was going to find himself in that sort of a position. Uh, he was cute. He was cute enough, as Brendan had known, to put the ball down in front of the goalie so that it was flying back up. And it, like, maybe Brian Hogan would be disappointed, but the more than uh, one of the goals Stephen O'Keefe uh, conceded uh, later on that afternoon, he gave himself the best chance by putting it down there. Goalies don't like the ball generally down there, anywhere up here or up up shoulder high is easier to save. Uh, I have I have a big issue with the Barrett sending off. I have to say, uh, I, I think the yellow card, the first yellow card, was like I I genuinely would would be fearful for where the game is going or where it'll be in ten years if those are the sort of offences in inverted commas that are earning yellow cards. Uh, I and I did a piece with, with Ben O'Connor the the former car carder during the week, and he said he believes manliness has been taken out of the game. Like, I think that like many officials want hurling to be non-contact. And like it's the fastest field sport in the world. Lads are going to get lads are going to get knocks, but as long as there's no like, can anyone tell me that Carl Barrett there was any bit of dirtiness in anything that he did the other day? There was no bad slaps. There was nothing like that. Not not I, I just couldn't have that as a, as a, as a, as two yellows to pick up a red, particularly the first one. And um, that completely changed the game. Aiden Hart wouldn't have been where he was to score the goal if they didn't have an extra man. And uh, it was bad for Barrett. Some people are saying it's karma from the All-Ireland final last year, which is absolutely ridiculous um, with that Richie Hogan sending off because he was obviously the one involved in that. But uh, yeah, I just think it completely turned the game and I'd have a genuine fear for uh, hurling down the line if those are the sort of things that are picking up yellow cards and ending up with a guy off the pitch. Yeah, yeah, there was another. Sorry, there was another incident, and I was on, obviously on co-coms, and I was afraid of my life because Jake Morris came back and hooked uh, Cahill Mannion, and in the process of hooking him, he clipped the side of his helmet. Now, under the real rules of the game, if we take what happened to Cahill Barrett, who made an honest attempt to hit the ball, just missed and clipped Cahill down the shoulder, then I thought Jake Morris was going to be in serious bother. Now, thankfully, he wasn't, but I didn't see a massive difference between that incident in an honest attempt to hook somebody as an honest attempt to bat the ball and, and maybe that's where the massive frustration I suppose comes in for for past players, pundits, you name it, and players themselves would be very, very, very sore when they see that little bit of inconsistency. Yeah, Brent, but I also heard you, I think, you know, almost biting your tongue towards the end. I think I can't remember which Tipperary Ford was going in on goal, and I think it was Aiden Hart just rugby tackled him to the ground. And I think you were like kind of in two minds whether you wanted to bring up you know the, the cynical fouling issue with the game and the melting pot, but I could tell it was on your the tip of your tongue. 
Of course it is. And I said it on the, the, the Sunday game, the very first night it was on, I said the players have a responsibility now to keep the spirit of the game. Otherwise, the rule makers have to step in. And that is, for me, for sure what's going to happen. It just has to. I don't know that we need to do a Zoom Congress in January or February or whatever it takes to get it in. But the more I'm seeing players being pulled down, the more I'm thinking the sin bin has to come in for that type of cynical foul. It just, it, we have to cut it out of the game. We've seen it more often from when I think it was Shootay, the Dublin hurler, or Sutcliffe, whichever one, clipped the, um, one of the players going through with the hurley. Uh, and that was the, st- the first shots fired. And we see it in every game. And to be honest with you, if I'm inside in the goals, I'm roaring, pull them down. And it's as simple as that. That is the kind of contradiction. We can all have the romance of the game and all that. But if you're training for six months and you've trained all through lockdown, you've done all that kind of stuff, if it means whipping them down like the Galway player is, fine, but I just think the consequences have to be greater than what they are to, to cut it out in future. Yeah, Michael, where do you weigh in on that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in lads being dragged down like that. I'd be pu- trying to punish them on the scoreboard more than anything else. And I think for I, I'd have no issue with uh, the boundaries for where a penalty can occur to be even brought out to the 21 if it was something like that. I'd be trying to punish teams on the scoreboard nearly. They know that if they pull someone down, even if it's 25 yards out I would say it's, it's kind of a ropey one but if the if the if the referee deems it as you know they're denying a genuine goal score opportunity with a cynical foul I'd be punishing it with a penalty that's that, that's what I'd be doing and maybe a yellow card and a penalty and I tell you if you're conceding penalties every time you're pulling a lad down particularly if it's something like that like Callum was about 25 yards down I think that would probably deter guys from doing it as well to some extent but I'd be all for punishing them on the scoreboard without a doubt yeah and Brendan, just looking at Tipperary now and where they go from here, obviously they got that All-Ireland last year with the kind of the core of that team that have been there for a long time. Now, like, where do you see the team moving? Will, will they stick with, with these experienced guys? Will they look to bring in some of the uh, under-20 and under-21 All-Ireland winners? I know a couple of them have come in, but maybe more of those guys. How do you think Liam Sheedy will play it? I think it's a huge opportunity for Tipperary. Definitely, there are going to be a team in transition. I wouldn't be writing off the, the older lads that are in the panel. They still have something definitely to, to offer. I mean, if you look at Kevin Morton last year, everybody said, sure, he's finished. And then look at him and Tom Morrissey. So it's amazing when you get young blood and fresh legs around these experienced players, how it's going to rejuvenate them. Now, Tipperary certainly have, I suppose, a backup or a bank of, of good players who won all Ireland under 21s and under 20s. So those guys must be champing at the bit now. And they'll have a National League next year. And no matter man, the Liam Sheedy and Eamon O'Shea and Tommy Dunn and the backroom team, Dar Egan, to blood those guys in. And they will see an opportunity. I was a young player coming on, obviously, in, in 1995 with Fox and English and the boys were facing the end of their career. There's no doubt I thought to myself going in, this is a time for a new generation to, to take up the baton now. And certainly I hope that's the attitude that the young players will take and tip. And look, I'm, I'm sure they will. Um, but certainly, yes, I think transition is probably the word that will be bandied around a lot into January and February about this Tipperary senior hurling team uh, going into 2021. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Sheedy plays that one. And Michael, the other quarterfinal award versus Clare another very impressive victory for Waterford uh, under Liam Cahill you know Desi Hutchinson has had a cracking championship with two more goals you know they, they have Kilkenny now they've had a lot of interesting games with them over the last number of years albeit this is a slightly new Waterford team but how impressed were you with their game over Clare? Yeah very impressed because like if you look at this is you know largely the same personnel that were only able to put up 10 points against Limerick in the Munster Championship last year in Walsh Park their scoring averages are absolutely through the roof I think they've averaged 29 points there are three championship games under under Liam Cattle this year, and like one of my reservations with Waterford coming in would have been, you know, do they have? They don't have a, a Joe Canning or a Seamus Callan or a TJ Reid 
uh, but they have an awful lot of guys really, really chipping in. And in general, they're you know tossing the ball around to the guy that's in the best position. And Daisy Hutchinson is a classic example of that. He scored two two the other night, set up a load of really good chances as well. Uh, the energy and the kind of ravenous work rate that Cattle has brought to it, like you, you couldn't have really envisaged uh, how much things would change within you know you know probably about eighteen months. They're absolutely flying now. They're just absolutely mad for work everywhere. And I think um, I think they'll be hugely optimistic going in against Kilkenny. Kilkenny probably won a Leinster title almost against the head. They didn't play particularly well. It was in the last ten or fifteen minutes minutes where they really kicked on. Um, and like Will Waterford, Will Waterford really feared that Kilkenny team. It's not like they're coming up against you know a Limerick or even potentially you know a Tipperary or a Galway. And I think they'll definitely see it as a as a massive opportunity. Now I think it might come a tiny bit too soon for them. But to look back, I think this is maybe they're kind of maybe where Waterford were in twenty sixteen as opposed to where Waterford were in twenty seventeen. I think Kilkenny will still get over the line, but it's a massive opportunity for them. And uh yeah, the scores they're putting up, like everybody was talking, all the doomsday, uh, the doomsday sayers before, a couple of weeks ago were saying like Hurling has turned into ping pong and teams only want to score points and this kind of crack. And we had an absolute bag of goals at the weekend and we had six goals in that game between Waterford and Clare. And it's funny, like Hurling was probably overshadowed by football on Sunday, but the, the Hurling at the weekend was savage, massive scores put up. And from Waterford point of view, I think they'll be full of confidence going into the weekend. They're robbed of an extra day's recovery, which is probably tough on them because they're on the road now a good while. But uh, they'll definitely see it as a big chance. Yeah, Brendan, like, what, what do you put this turnaround down to? Because as Michael said, a lot of the same personnel, Liam Cowell has come in. It's obviously been an extremely disrupted year, but they, they've looked so much different to the kind of the poor performances of the previous couple of campaigns. Hi, Deborka is the answer, I think, fairly straight and, and simple. Uh, that when Derek McGrath was in his last year, Watford limped along. Uh, Podrick Fanning, Watford limped along. Liam Cahill comes in, there's no doubt he's had a huge influence except for Mikey Beavins have been fantastic with them. But when you get tied to Burka back in there, centre-back, to see that red helmet, and I think it was Derek McGrath said about the system in Watford, tied to Burka knows and he gets the ball 50 yards from his own goals not to hit it. You get other guys playing that role, they'll strike it up the field. We saw David Burke the weekend, he just hit it, hit it, hit it. The Burke won't do that. And then you have Callum Lines as well on the other wing beside him. Two absolute energizer bunnies like they will they just run, 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 and they'll run the ball up the middle of the pitch, they'll break tackles, they'll cause overlaps, and then they'll hand pass the ball to the Bennett's. And the Bennett's will do the rest. And I think a big change as well for Watford is that Desi Hutchinson is inside now and he's a poacher and he's patient and like every other killer like that. He'll wait and he'll wait. Now, the other day, the ball popped in over the top and said, oh, he's lucky to get onto it. That's crap for me because he saw the opportunity. He waited for it to go over the top, a bit like what Lark Corbett used to do with Tip. And it's a composed finish to the back of the net. He passes the ball home like and that's That shows a guy that's in full flow. And the last thing I'll say on, on Watford is Liam McGrath, or sorry, Liam Cahill, when Watford get inside 20, 25 yards, they have that temporary instinct that Liam would have seen with the under-20s and 21s. Goals are the only currency. And you saw Bennett against Limerick a little bit. He got the ball above at the town end and he caught inside rather, hitting it over the bar to see was there a goal on. And he took that as the last, I suppose, resort to hit the ball over the bar. And that, for me, was a little sign. And they developed it even more then against Clare when the opportunities came. They just killed Clare with goals. Hey, you're clinging on to, you're clinging on to Waterford now with the Tipperary element to it. I knew there was something there with you. You'll be shouting for them for the rest of the championship now. 
Yeah, but sure, yeah, should I play Kilkenny now? I'm going to have to back Kilkenny because every other time I back the team Kilkenny or playing Kilkenny at once. <laughs> so I'd be all guns blazing for Kilkenny, hoping the Dacian might be able to might be able to jump the fence. And God knows, in a year that we've had with Cavan and the romance of Tipperary and all yesterday, you'd never, never know with Watford and Crow Park with the energy they have, they may be able to overpower Kilkenny. Mm. And Michael, just a word on Claire, you know, considering they came into the championship down so many key men, it's been a pretty pretty positive campaign for them. And like even yesterday on Sunday or Saturday, rather, Tony Kelly picking up that that knock, he, he was definitely hampered. Like he had probably one of the great individual campaigns we've seen over the last while. So how would you assess their, their championship? Oh, massive progress. I would have totally written off Claire before the start, and I, I won't uh, hesitate to say that I definitely did. They have unearthed a good few guys as well as a result of missing missing Galvin and Conan and, and Duggan and a few more. Podge Collins, Rory Hayes, I thought. Desi Hutchinson gave him trouble the other day, but he he, and he fronted up against him and did as, as best as he could, considering it was kind of one-on-one battle and there was a lot of space between the two of them. Uh, I think Malone was absolutely outstanding again the other day. Probably not the most aesthetically pleasing-looking player, but Jizzy was brilliant. He hit over four big points. Even Aaron Shanner kind of showed up the other day when they, when they needed someone else to, to stand up. Uh, Tony Kelly, I'd have to say it to him, in, fair, in fairness to him again the other day, like I thought he was in awful trouble. I, I, I didn't see him being able to get back onto the picture. If I did, I thought he'd be limping back out five or ten minutes after. And he clearly wasn't. He was totally hampered. But even he, he still delivered a, a decent performance. Uh, obviously not to compare with the three that came before that. But like he's whoever's picking the All-Stars this year, there's only five forward spots to be picked from because there is no way, even though he was quiet-ish the other day, there's no way he doesn't pick up an All-Star. Um, from Brian Owen's point of view, I think he kind of had a fool's pardon almost coming into this year with the amount of faces that he was missing. But as I said, he's unearthed a few more. And if he gets all those guys back next year, they'll be a fair force. There was talk of John Conlon possibly featuring at the weekend. Now, he didn't, but he'll be ready to go for the league next year. They'll be hoping to get Duggan back as well. And they'll be hoping to get Colin Galvin back too. They've played the long game with him. Uh, he obviously went and got surgery or rehabbing his, his injury. And he'll be back. And maybe Podge will be back as well. So... Yeah, a, a very, very promising year from Clare from, from probably low expectations. So it definitely exceeded maybe any expectations anyone had for them. Yeah, definitely getting to the, the last eight with, with all those absentees is, is good going. And Brendan, just before we finish up, you, you know, you mentioned that was some fairy tale days over the weekend. Huge day for Kerry Hurling as well into the John McDonough Cup final. One game away from, from getting promoted after their victory over Carlo. They play Antrim in the final. I know you, I suppose, got some comments on social media as well about, you know, not being there on Saturday. I, I don't know what, do you want to address that or, or what do you make of the victory in general? No, it was a fantastic victory. As the social media stuff, to be honest to me, that's that's kind of background noise that my Mansfield to the players. And I was so, so proud of what they did. Um, I was with them on obviously on Friday night and I've been involved in Fintan O'Connor's um, backroom team and been through, I suppose, all the highs and lows of Kerry. My relationship with Kerry started with Eamon Kelly back in 2014 for a few years. In the last three years, I've been down there. And it's just absolutely fantastic that those boys are heading to Crow Park. As I said, I've seen the amount of work that they put in. Like It'll be playing Antrim again, which, let's be honest about it, Antrim beating us the last three, four times now, I think, that we've we played him in the last year's championship. Darren Gleeson has done massive work with him. But it's just huge, and it's great to be looking forward to it now, back down trend again now tomorrow night. So the next three weeks is going to be an awful lot of hard work to see if we can top of Antrim because I said there's there's no doubt we're really up against them they're, they're a formidable force but it is really really I suppose 
gotten the the, the the work that these players have put in now they're, they're starting to get a bit of the rewards from it but they'll know as, as I know that the job is a near done until we, we turn up and perform in Crow Park Just a word Brendan on potentially uh, the winners will go into Leinster obviously Kerry going into Leinster would be uh, unusual to say the least yeah, it would be. It would be. It would be great, you know. But I suppose, yeah, it's it's easy for you to to talk about that. But when you're stuck in the middle of the fight, I don't think we're worried too much about anything else other than preparing for Antrim. Um, to be honest with you, um, the amount of work as I said has been put in with the group. But it certainly would be nice if that was the, what this group had to look forward to next year. But there's a serious hurdle to to get over first in in Crow Park before our Ireland final day in these Antrim boys before we can uh, we can look anything beyond that. Well, set up to be a very memorable day in Croke Park, regardless. Brendan, thanks so much for joining us. No problem at all. And that's all we have time for this week on The Throne in association with Board Gosh Energy. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast reviewing all the All-Ireland Hurling semi-final action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening, and goodbye. Board Gosh Energy, proud sponsor of the GAA All-Ireland Under-20 and Senior Hurling Championships. Hashtag hurling to the core.